Hello guys and welcome to this week's episode of the Blockchain Meditation Podcast, the podcast where we meditate about the business applications of blockchain, the new business model it brings and the social impact we witness in result. This week my guest is Paul of Molecule. With Paul we will discuss his company, the new business model it brings to the market and how this affects the big pharma companies. Stay tuned and I hope you join the episode. everybody and uh, welcome to this episode of the blockchain meditation podcast on this episode I, i would like to welcome paul of molecule paul welcome hey, yeah thank you so much nikki uh nick for being here yeah it's it's a pleasure mate uh paul can you tell more a bit about yourself and so we you know our our listeners have a better background about you and you know how you started in the industry you've been all over the place in the last couple of years so can you tell us your story uh yeah absolutely so um uh, i first uh, studied economics uh economics and political science in switzerland um and kind of as i was studying i we had a small like group of friends at university um we were trading stocks so a lot of like small cap biotech stocks um uh tech stocks anything that kind of had a high of high volatility um and um one person in our friend group um kind of introduced us to to bitcoin um because he was doing an internship at a small bitcoin trading firm in switzerland which was back then a bitcoin swiss so which yeah back then was one of the first companies doing anything in that space in switzerland um and i got really really fascinated by by the underlying concept um so this was like late 2013 um so it was like when the first bubble really came about um and i had a few bitcoins sitting on mount gox uh but i lost them um when the exchange got hacked um and then kind of wanted to do my university thesis on on bitcoin and kind of how what it meant for the financial system unfortunately all of the professors that i went and talked to Uh, shut me down completely <laughs> no one really wanted to hear much about the topic at the time they deemed it kind of a ponzi scheme and um I, yeah as often the case um uh, and then i kind of briefly worked in um uh, in private equity um but started really looking deeply again into the into blockchain in late 2014 mid 2015 because i was doing an internship in in burma myanmar um and one of the huge problems that they have there is capital control so how can money move across the border um Myanmar didn't have any cash machines or ATMs until uh, until 2012 so a very cash based economy um and so I was looking into the potential of using bitcoin for that and through that then really started going much deeper into um the dogecoin community um which i found really fascinating like the way that it was growing at the time and then through that um on reddit the ethereum community um and then was living in south africa about that in about early yeah in about early 2016 um and at that point kind of decided in my career to just start focusing on on ethereum full time um so started running a few uh, a few meetups um uh and we started our company linum labs there in yeah in early mid 2016 offering uh first first kind of training to to larger corporates that were also getting more and more interested in blockchain 
um, and through that worked on a digital identity project. Uh, and then through that project ended up joining um, Consensus. Um, worked at Uport um, at Consensus for just under one and a half years. Uh, and then left Consensus in May last year to focus full-time on, uh, on Molecule. Awesome, thank you. I wonder, by the way, what your professor would think about Bitcoin right now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a fascinating thing how things turn around. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so some background about our listeners. Actually, we had the pleasure to meet Paul first. I think it was 2017 or 2018. I'm not quite sure. In, um, in South Africa, it was, uh, it was a really fascinating community there. Actually, at that point, we were just entering the, the ecosystem. We didn't have a lot, of expect, uh, a lot of expectations about the community in South Africa, but it was really, really good. And it was really well, you know, pleasantly surprised with what happened there. So it's really a hotbed. Um, all right, Paul, can, can you tell me more about Molecule? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so even kind of jumping back a little bit, even before I became interested in in uh, blockchain, um, just after high school and during high school, I became very fascinated with um, with pharmacology and broader pharma economics. Um, and if you look if you look inside pharma and the way that it impacts our healthcare system, it's really one of the most kind of broken broken industries um, on the on the planet. Um, and <laughs> uh, just very, you have very high drug prices. Uh, in some cases, you have very like um, b kind of bad medication coming onto the market, um, which you can most dominantly see at the moment in the the U.S. opioid crisis, um, where last year alone there was over fifty thousand people, over fifty thousand deaths um, from overdoses from prescription opioids that were sold to the public by by pharma companies. Um, and then there's many treatable diseases that that we could develop solutions for, but where there's not enough financial or economic interest from pharma companies to bring those to markets, malaria treatments, for example, or, or mycetoma. And um, so I got very fed up with that after high school. And then kind of um, as a lot of new systems were emerging in um, early 2017, um, predominantly among them, some of the work that Simon de la Ruvia has been pioneering um, and that kind of I had the pleasure to meet and make friends with in Cape Town. Um, around curation markets and token bonding curves and kind of saw that other um, leaders in the space, such as Ocean Protocol, were really actively looking at these things to redesign, use system engineering and system design, how, how you can fundamentally change how an industry works, um, and then kind of came back and started really thinking deeply about these, these problems and how to apply um, solutions there. So Molecule in that way is, um, is an open... Uh, an open marketplace or protocol um, for decentralized research, development, and funding of chemical intellectual property. Um, so potentially imagine that you could create a, a market um, for any potential um, a piece of pharmaceutical IP, which could be a new drug, a therapeutic, um, and allow in that open market anyone to contribute um, both financially um, by purchase, buying into a market, um, but that then driving um, open source data creation around that asset. Because if I can buy myself as a researcher, if I can put my research out into the open um, and, and contribute to that research openly around a new drug, then we now create incentives for open source um, to happen. Um, and yeah, I can get a little bit more 
more into it later on. So if I understand correctly, basically you're decentralizing the, the research of, of the drugs first, and then you open source it, so you democratize the whole industry in a way. Yeah. So yeah, that would be our goal. Um, and maybe if we go back a little bit, like why is, so drug development today is, is very expensive. So it costs about two and a half billion dollars on average to bring a drug to market. Uh, it's very slow. It takes up to 10 to 12 years. Um, two and a half billion. Two and a half billion. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, so the, there's different statistics on it. Statistics can range from 500 million up to two and a half billion, but, um, the, a lot of those costs come from, so those are the costs that are stated by big pharma companies. Um, and now we have to imagine that these are massive companies that are trying to bring these drugs to market. The costs that are also in there are potential market failures. Um, but one question that you can ask yourself, for example, is like, why should, as a society, as a consumer, why should you pay um, kind of the tail end of paying to keep a massive corporate structure intact to bring drugs to market inefficiently? Um, yeah, it's kind of like imagine if you if one example that I really like is I think drug development um, and to some extent wider innovation practices in these big corporates are where software development was around 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so research and development in pharma companies is entirely closed source um, and collaboration and research doesn't share doesn't get shared across the industry. If you're a researcher at a specific university and you're, you see there's this very interesting molecular structure, but it's been patented by a specific pharma company, um, depending on the jurisdiction you're in, you're not allowed to research that compound in any way. Let's say if you wanted to create a study about it, and the only way to do it would be to get an NDA, would be to engage that company, get an NDA from them, and then do your research privately. Um, so from a software development perspective, it's a little bit like every company is writing their own code. Imagine all software companies just wrote their own code and then no company collaborates or licenses their code to other companies. And um, so negative data in the industry is never published. All the companies do their own research on their own drugs. That would kind of be the example of every company does security audits on their own code internally. Um, and so like the the pharma system in that way hasn't changed at all in a way that for example software development has has changed and while there are big differences in how we can develop drugs the underlying principles of like pharma fu like fundamentally pharmaceutical companies are technology companies um but the innovation principles that we've seen in software for example haven't been at all applied to what would rationally make sense in in something like pharma well, collaborating in software came out of necessity um, while the, the big pharma companies, so they have the, this big financial back, right? Yeah. And so I'm kind of wondering, aren't you concerned about uh, that this contradicts actually with the way the big pharma players are doing business? I mean, after all, their approach is to have their hands on all possible patents and ensure exclusivity of product, certain drugs, right? So um, this, in a way, will end this era while you know everybody would have access to the to the to the patents if such patents even exist because uh, it's a collaborative matter and collaborative research right yeah so yeah that's a very good point um i think like why did linux you can ask yourself why did linux ever happen um like and linux got very big corporates to join in um i like 
Linux fundamentally came together because like Microsoft was threatening to take over large parts of the industry. And Microsoft kind of had the approach that Big Pharma has today, which is extremely proprietary. Um, we set the prices, we own, we own the data. Um, what's happening in pharma though today is because these companies have gotten very big um, and the innovation that they're bringing to market is continuously declining. So uh, it's expected that in about um, 2020, the internal rate of return on investments, on R&D investments, is expected to hit about 1.1%. So that means for $1 that the pharma company is spending, they are maybe making $1.1, no, 1.01. So imagine I tell you this investment opportunity uh, and and you get one cent in return. and that now presents a big problem to, to the big farmers because they used to be very innovative. But what's happened over the past 10 years is that the percentage of revenue that they can derive from new products um, has continuously gone down. So basically, they still have massive revenues coming in, but all that revenue is derived from drugs that they developed 10 to 15 to 20 years ago. Um, and they haven't created... Either it's a cultural problem or it's a it's a it's a systemic problem. Um, but within the companies, they're not creating new innovation, which means they are predominantly focused now on buying IP, early stage IP to mid stage IP, and kind of those big M and A takeover deals where, um, yeah, I won't name any names, but like where one where a big company buys up a small company to take in that IP, bring it to market, and then hike up the prices which is also not a sustainable model. Um, so the pharma companies themselves, if you, if you Google innovation crisis in pharma, uh, you'll, find, yeah, you'll find pages and pages of articles around different people from an economic background, from a pharma background, who are kind of saying this industry is entering, is, is in big trouble because it's kind of falling off a cliff where um, it, it's kind of, it doesn't have anything to back up future revenue um, because it's becoming less and less innovative. Do you think we have a chance to unite those guys? I mean, I totally get the uh, you know the 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 point here, but one concern I have is actually we're human after all, and yeah. you know we know how we act, right? I mean, people will still be greedy, and uh, you know uniting those people it is not out of necessity. It's really really hard to do it, right? Yeah, I think it comes down a little bit to developing new business models, um, which is also kind of comes back to 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 the analogy of software, um, companies like Google, um, AWS, Red Hat, GitHub were able to create completely new business models around open source approaches. And for software development as a whole, they have been extremely like beneficial. However, in the 90s, when open source was first being proposed, um, there was huge pushback uh, from larger players like IBM and Microsoft. IBM actually very quickly came around because they saw such a threat in Microsoft. Um, but to kind of to come to your point, I think I think these incumbents will realize that that they need to develop new business models um, in order to get yeah, to stay competitive and to stay relevant. Um, and what's actually molecule business model? Can you go in more details? Um, Okay, so essentially the way that Molecule works for or that the protocol would work for companies or research organizations, individuals, is that, um, for example, you as a, as a researcher um, or as a small, let's say, a small 
startup, um, you have a specific piece of IP. Uh, and often these, often people are sitting on multiple pieces of IP. Um, and in many cases, a company might have a very innovative solution, but they only have funding to develop the most promising, let's say the most prom promising drug that they have. What that also means is that a lot of intellectual property, um, especially when it's in patents, is sitting kind of shelved. So we've kind of claimed it, but we don't have the funding at the moment to continue developing it. Um, and now that's kind of a bottleneck to innovation because that IP tends to be stuck in, in companies. Um, so what would happen is, uh, let's say I, I create a new market on, on the molecule protocol for my piece of IP for this new drug that I'm proposing. It could be a new pathway. Uh, it could be a part of uh, like a part of a drug, like how the drug is delivered in the human body. Um, it could be a vaccine, so on and so forth. And I say, I don't want to, either I want to sell a share in it, or I don't want to own it anymore, but kind of offload it into an open market. Um, and so what I would do is I would create um, a, a market for this um, using a mechanism called a, a token bonding curve. And by the way, by by uh, a market, you mean a project. It's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it equals projects or? No, so it wouldn't be a project. It would be an actual market. So the first thing that I do is I claim digital ownership for my, that I am the owner of the, of this piece of IP. Um, let's say you have a patent, you would say, Hey, I own this patent. I want to, I want to put it on, on a molecule platform. Um, you would then, depending on what the use case is exactly, you would, you would need to move that patent into, uh, into a different legal form. So for example, one way to do that is you could put the patent into a trust. Um, and the trust then has a legal agreement with the protocol where it says, our assets are now being managed by the protocol. And in return, you receive a certain amount of shares in the market. Um, what would then happen is you first um, claim digital, like singular ownership in the form of a NFT, an unfungible token. And then you take that NFT and you move it into um, a token bonding curve, which is the market. Um, and then you let anyone from that point onwards, depending on how you define the parameters of the market, anyone can freely buy shares in, in your piece of IP. Now, those shares, depending on the use case, can mean multiple things. They can mean research licenses. They could be royalty licenses if your drug ever gets commercialized, or they could be actual ownership. Um, actual ownership gets a little bit more, more complicated. Um, what that then brings in as well is there's uh, several governance functions, depending on how, kind of how distributed you want the drug to be. And for some use cases, it can make a lot of sense to have, let's say, if it's a so one example is the Open Source Pharma Foundation and Open Source Pharma Movement, um, which is a, a set of researchers from India to the UK to Australia that are working on uh, tropical diseases. And they submit code, uh, not code, they submit data about their findings of potentially using different molecules to treat specific diseases in an open source repo. Now, a project like that would kind of be like a community developed drug. Um, depending on the use case, that would work differently than if you said, we're a company, we want to sell 40% of ownership in the IP, we're keeping the remaining 60%, we want to raise X amount, and um, here are the terms. Um, so we envision that depending on the use case, depending on the type of IP, there would be different user flows and kind of different, um, different interactions. Um, let's go back a little bit like when your market is set up technically anyone who's interested in that piece of ip can start buying shares in it and um, what that now means is we now have have a discovery layer so a curation layer 
of IP that market that market participants believe will be valuable. Um, and in many cases, this could be in the early days, this could be speculation. It could also be researchers who are either speculating or they they have an interest in researching um, a specific drug. And they now also have the legal right to research that drug because they have kind of become co-owners or they have a research license um, to research that drug. And now they also have an incentive to publish their data open source. Because if I'm now a researcher, I'm, uh, I own a certain share in a market and I've produced a, a good data set that proves that this compound could be used in, in a specific setting. Maybe I've done a, a wet lab assay. Maybe I've done a... Um, uh, maybe I've done an animal trial. Um, and then I now have an incentive to publish that data out in the open because if the data is positive, it's likely that more people would buy into the market. Um, and there's, we envision a lot of different flavors in which kind of this could play out. Um, and where we come in as a company or like as a project, so we're currently building this as a, as a company, but the, the IP is going into a nonprofit foundation. Um, to provide an e equal and neutral level playing field for, for the industry. Um, and when we could kind of come in, we envision in the beginning that we'll help and, and try, to, try to best build use, like, use cases that could work. Um, but in the long run, we'd kind of hope that an ecosystem around this can develop and that these markets can run um, fully autonomously. So what currently is your progress with the project? Uh, so we've been, we started building the project late last year um, and uh, have been kind of building out, kind of, yeah, building out our team. We currently have a, let's say, a prototype uh, that's running. Um, the prototype is still very basic, though, um, and you may know this from blockchain development. Uh, it's, especially with bonding curve, there is still a lot of different parameters that need to be set for I think for these markets to fully function in uh, a positive economic way. Um, for example, there's a lot of, or quite a few attack vectors um, that need to be tested out in terms of how the markets can function, in terms of how they can be efficient running on a blockchain. Um, so in terms of the state where we're at at the moment, we've, uh, we're currently based in, in mainly in Basel, Switzerland, uh, to be able to interface with very closely with the pharmaceutical industry here. Um, and yeah, we have a prototype built out that we're nearing completion with, kind of as our first big sprint um, that we're now going into user testing with and kind of trying to build an early a cohort of, of alpha users. Um, read it just to test requirements, to test interactions, if our assumptions are right. Um, and then plan to, like, plan to launch a closed beta um, in probably early, last, early next year, um, Q1 or Q2. Um, there's still a lot of legal work that needs to go into that, though, as well. Yeah, I imagine a lot of, uh, you know, the the legal aspect would be heavy here because you're talking about a lot of you know, a lot of topics like uh, patents, like ownership of shares. So it's it's kind of complex thing, but it's really interesting to to you know to see how the legal aspect and boarding curves mix here because it's it's on 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 the edge, the cutting edge of the technology. Mm. And as you said, I mean, with the boarding curve set. We're really early on, but one of the things that has really big potential here and could definitely, you know, change the industry and change uh, change business models here. Mm. So it's really interesting and awesome. Yeah, maybe um, just on that note, I think 
why bonding curves are really interesting for this use case is because, um, I mean, you could say in general, why hasn't securitization or why aren't people selling shares of patents or IP on the stock exchange or creating derivatives for that? Um, so traditionally, when you try and, and, and sell um, ownership or like shares in something like a patent, the problem is that um, you would need an underwriter for that offering. Um, so typically, that is someone who, let's say you only sell 10% of, of the market, but um, that means the underwriter takes on uh, the remainder. And then you need a market maker to actually create liquidity and um, trading volume for your shares on, on an exchange, even if it's just a very small exchange. So now all of that comes with a lot of friction and, and very high costs. And just the pure thought of, say, um, selling ownership in a highly risky drug to, um, let's say, through a financial derivative is very, very complex because it might be hard to find buyers when you do the offering. So an IPO in that sense is always like a, a very specific point in time um, and where bonding curves are really interesting is because they basically allow us to bootstrap a market for any asset, be it worth $1 or $1 or million, and measure the interest of people buying in. Um, it's also not typically structured as an offering because uh, at least in the way that vanilla, like bonding curves are designed in a very vanilla way, I'm not actually raising funding with a bonding curve. I'm just creating a market for, for the underlying asset. Um, and that's where we think this could be really interesting, specifically in very early stage um, IP markets. So we, we're thinking quite heavily as well around um, pre-patented compounds where I would now be trading. Imagine, imagine I, could be, I could buy into a GitHub repo that doesn't have, like there is no IP in a way in, in an asset, but I might be now, um, I might be now like my my shares or my tokens in that in that repo could mean I have governance rights over how that how the underlying IP is commercialized um, in in the long run. Um, so for for very early stage drug development and early stage innovation, um, that's where we see this from a like financial market perspective being really useful. Awesome. Um... Can you describe how, you know, if everything goes really well and everything happens according to plan, how do you think the future might look like because of Molecule? You know, what would be your, you know, the best thing you, you wish to happen? Uh, yeah, so the whole reason why we're building this or like what I'm really interested in is to, to, make, uh, to make healthcare and, and medicine and biotech more open. Um, and to make it a public utility, uh, I, I think, I think in the same way that things like the internet or things like, um, certain types of software or knowledge should be open. I think in the same way that having access to the best, uh, healthcare and having access to human innovation should be something that's open as well. And the way that the pharma industry has evolved around this is extremely exclusive, um, and non-open. There's, um, there was kind of a scandal last year where a, I think it was a hepatitis treatment was one of the best new treatments. Um, it literally cured it, but it, a, a single treatment, I think, was $84,000. And the people who have hepatitis are normally the type of people who, who due to their living circumstances, can never afford that. And so we've, we've created this like abstruse system where the best possible medicine is actually not making it to market. 
Um, and there's a common thing in, so Goldman Sachs wrote an interesting article um, uh, in, I think, early last year titled, Is Curing Patients a Sustainable Business Model? Obviously, curing people is not sustainable because you lose your customer, but healthcare should be curing people. So we should be focused on bringing the best, the best drugs and, and therapeutics to market. But we've created a system where that doesn't actually happen. So if we, even if we had great medicine, it's not in, in the current system's interest to bring that to market. And so my hope is if we have an open market, and an open system, naturally, um, like if one, let's say, let's say one company has, a, um, let's say has 10 potential treatments for a disease and they find one new one that is much better, much less side effects and makes all the other ones obsolete, they would be stupid to bring that to the market because they're killing their own revenue. But in an open system, naturally, people would make would bet on on the drugs that make the most sense for people. Um, and so, yeah, my my hope in this is really that this could spur a whole new wave of innovation um, in an industry that really needs it, and empower empower scientists and researchers, um, and most importantly, empower yeah empower patients and the people who um, who who rely on these things. What's the one thing you need to further progress the, your project, Molecule? The, the one thing we need? Yeah, if we can, you know, you can wish for everything. And if the community can help out and, you know, support your project, what would be the one thing you wish to have and, you know, currently need? Mm. <laughs> I think there's too many things in parallel. Uh, yeah. I guess the one the one thing that I would really wish for is that we could get um, awareness quickly with all of the different user groups that this affects, um, like kind of raising awareness because it's what we're trying to do is highly ambitious, but the more people we talk to, the more everyone tells us this makes some, this makes a lot of sense for this industry. Um, so I guess one is awareness. And I guess another one would be um, you can never have, yeah, you can never have enough funding to, to build something this ambitious. Um, yeah <laughs> this is broadcasting you know your message to the universe <laughs> Thank you. uh what's what's your final words to our listeners here yeah guys thank you so much for uh for tuning in um and thank you so much nick for for setting this up this is great uh if you if any of you are interested in the intersection between blockchain and pharma or open source and pharma if you know anyone uh if you have someone that's affected by high drug prices like please feel free to reach out. Um, yeah, always keen to get feedback and, and hear thoughts on, on what we're building. And spread the love. Spread the love, Paul. Get more. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Paul. Okay, thank you so much, Nick. Take care. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Blockchain Meditation Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and comment and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. See you soon.